Hello and welcome to another episode of Superman Movie Minute, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can fly eyes 1978 Superman the Movie, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Franklin, and joining me on this journey through time and space is... Rob Kelly! Yes, Rob. Are you ready to see what fate awaits General Zod, Ursa, and Nan? It's This is a very scary five minutes of the movie, especially for the, our three Phantom Zone villains. Well, they're not, again, I keep calling them Phantom Zone villains. They're not Phantom Zone villains yet, but, but very shortly, they'll be Phantom Zone villains. Yes, they, they very shortly will. And in fact, I think it's really neat as they wait for their punishment. You can see Terrence Stamp seems to be mumbling something. It, it, and I always wonder, is he praying? Is he praying to Rao? Is he? <laughs> is it him talking to himself? Is he? Is he trying to reassure himself? I mean, it's 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 really. I, I don't think I noticed it until like recently that he does that. But it's it it just really sells how horrible the fate of the Phantom Zone must be. Yeah, that is one of the benefits of uh, these. Uh these movie minutes is even something you, you and I have seen this movie, what, like probably a thousand times combined. Yes. You're still finding new things. Cause I never noticed that either, that he, that when you see that close up, that you see him muttering something and that's, you know, like, Ooh, that's pretty scary. Cause what, how, how scary is something if it scares General Zod? Right. Yeah. Maybe he's just feeding Marlon Brando his lines. I don't know. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. If, if it scares General Zod, then, yeah, it's got to be bad. Yeah. And and I think, uh, you know, here we see, we get to see the domed uh, ceiling of the of uh, the Kryptonian judgment chamber, you know, like pull back. And, it, you know, it's 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 the scale of the thing is, is really impressive. I mean, you know, obviously it was a miniature that they filmed, but it, I mean, it really sells the the alien nature of the world. It really looks great. Yeah, I love the way the, the, the whole set dwarfs these figures, these tiny, all of a sudden when you peel back and you see that this thing is like the Hollywood Bowl, basically, <laughs> and it's just yeah. these three tiny little figures. And I love that there's, during the scene where the, 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 the Phantom Zone, like, sort of portal starts, you know, flying towards the three of them, that it's silent, all the music drops out, and it's just mm-hmm. for, like, a good 30 seconds, it's just total silence. I love that. I think that's such a great creepy little detail of just like your your fate is awaiting you and there's nothing you can do to stop it so i really like that little detail of i guess that's richard donner's is to drop out or john williams to drop out the music during just that little bit as we see the the crystal thing approach them right i mean that's that's i think that's the the genius of both you know that they knew as great as this score was they knew when to drop it out and <laughs> and this is definitely uh, the time to do so i mean and it it looks like I mean I love how they they wince and they actually throw their their arms over their faces as it as it you know basically envelops them it, the crash I mean we don't actually see exactly what it does because I mean it it comes toward them and then they you see this them spinning and and then they're trapped inside it which uh, I was watching uh, one of the making of documentaries and it showed they tried different things with the Phantom Zone they had them in like a membrane. Like almost looked like something out of a Freddy Krueger movie. They were <laughs> they were pushing through and and uh, but I, I think whoever came up with this idea of using this pane of glass uh, idea for the Phantom Zone, which is completely different than what we saw in the comics. Like yep. we said, lots, I mean, they just seemed like you know they were transparent ghost-like figures. Well, they were 
basically figures that weren't colored while every other character in the comic book was colored. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's a totally different interpretation, but man, it, it really works. And you just imagine how horrible it would be to just float through endless space trapped on a, you know, I always think it looks like a record album cover. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this is the kind of thing that I think gives the lie to the idea that like all comic book movies or like we should be specific superhero movies, like need to adapt the source material 100% because to me, this is the definitive version of the Phantom Zone is of this idea. Uh, I love, like you mentioned, we don't really see what happens to them. It's just kind of a quick wipe, but I like the idea that when they raise their arms, you get the sense that it's maybe a little painful Mm -hmm. to be thrown into the phantom zone and then you see them in there and i love that they're all like they're on top of each other which mm -hmm. gives a sense of very claustrophobic feel like you, the, the fan like your personal phantom zone is like a tight little box as opposed to the phantom zone that we later see in supergirl where it's like this big vast wasteland this yeah thi this thing feels like they're in a tight little chamber and maybe if it was just one of you it would be bad enough but to be jammed in there with two other people is, is pretty bad and the way that they're they're batting the the pane of glass like they you know like again they're trapped in a tiny little box it is i remember being really chilled at this when i was a yeah. kid and i as i watched them fly over krypton uh to me it's still really scary and it, it's just, i don't know whether this was derek mettings who was one of the special effects guys or it was john barry the set designer probably wasn't john barry but i mean whoever conceived that notion uh, to me, that's that's like an Oscar-worthy effect of just mm -hmm. coming, coming up with something that had existed in the comics for so many years and had been done a certain way, and they did it their own way. And to me, is that is the ver that's what I think of when I think of the Phantom Zone, despite having read ten thousand comics where it looked like something else. Yeah, me too. I mean, it totally it 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 just it it totally blows everything away. And and I mean, it's it it's so many things that we're going to talk about in the remaining minutes on Krypton. It just sells this this alien culture. I mean, and it's it's completely alien. I mean, it's like they really put a lot of thought into this whole emphasis on this crystal. I mean, they're even trapped inside glass. I mean, it yeah. looks like so it's this whole crystalline thing. But I think another thing you notice is they're they're floating, you know, toward the camera away from Krypton. You can actually hear Ursa saying "Forgive me" yes. over and over. While Zod's saying, I shall return, he's making like MacArthur, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and he does, he makes good on it, you know? It's, it's kind of funny that Ursa's such a, you know, we've all talked about how she was perverse and, and, and pretty twisted and sick, and we'll see in Superman 2, she, she still is. But here she's, you know, casting about in her... <laughs> yeah, I had that in my notes where she says, forgive me. It's like, that's how bad the Phantom Zone is, that she immediately turns, like, that quickly. Like, he's yeah. just like, oh, my God, this is – and also, I don't know about you, but, like, did you ever get this in the Phantom Zone? Did they ever really establish that, like, of course, you don't age in the Phantom Zone? Like, you just stay there at the age that you're at? And right, because, yeah. You know, and so it's like, I guess you don't really need food or water in the Phantom Zone. Like, you just live there, which is even more terrifying that you don't even have anything to sort of look forward to or any sort of – even, like, small delights or small distractions even. Like, you're just in the Phantom Zone – and you just stand there for all eternity. Like, right, yeah. Oh, oh, give me the death penalty, I think. I don't <laughs> yeah. send you to the Phantom Zone. That's always thought, you know, getting into the comics, you know, Superboy sends Mon-El to the Phantom Zone for a thousand years yeah. to protect oh. him from lead. 
Just let the poor guy die. Yeah, jeez, come on. Yeah, Stab him with a piece of lead and get it over with. Yeah, get him out of his misery. That's bad, that's bad, bad stuff. <laughs> so, so when the Phantom Zone part's over, now we have the Council of Esteemed British Actors. So. <laughs> that's their actual name. It's like a, it's like a, it's a knighthood that you get, Esteemed British Actors. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the scene, you know, uh, the scene with the council tells you so much because Jor-El's dialogue says that he is respected and he's not a crackpot, even though, as Zod pointed out, he has disagreed with the council before. But, you know, I mean, like we said last time, you know, the the we're already on Jor-El's side here because, you know, they've, you know, Zod's like, well, you've disagreed with the council before. That kind of set us up that. You know, Jor-El's our guy, and he's at all, he's been at odds with him before. And then, of course, here he's he makes his you know declaration that Krypton is doomed, and and you know Maria Shell's all smiling about it, and just you know <laughs> so <laughs> condescending. Yeah, I tell you, Krypton is merely shifting its orbit. <laughs> and her British accent makes it so. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, they're all really a bunch of. I mean, like it's funny, like. You couldn't have been the Krypton elders cannot be more wrong. Like they, right. they are, a th- they are, they are completely the opposite of right in this situation. And you know, it's like, did they take no precautions for this right. at all? I mean, like, what happens? Like, geez, maybe if you are wrong, or maybe, maybe, what happens if Jarell is maybe a little right? That this, right. Uh, you know, like it's like to, like the Krypton elves are just like, nah, don't worry about it. We're good. We're fine. You know, uh, the, yeah. The sun's like two feet away from my house, but it's okay. Yeah, you know? like we keep <laughs> getting shots of the of the Krypton sun getting larger and larger. I mean, in fact, at, at thirteen forty five, we can see that the the sun is like right on top of Krypton. I would think that your ice planet that would be a bit disconcerting. Like, yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, and and. Uh, we we see uh, of course we see Trevor Howard and and we see Harry Andrews who's in the credits and uh, I just saw him in Theater of Blood with Vincent Price. Ah, okay. Uh, have you have you seen that? I I saw it once many many years ago. He plays a horny old theater critic in that. <laughs> he gets a lot more to do there than you know. All he says is Jor-El, be reasonable. That's you know, it. but he, that's his whole line. That's his whole yep. yeah, his whole bit. Yeah, but he, yeah, yeah. he got in the, he got in the trailer that way, so you know. It, it worked out for him, but That's yeah. Right. I like the idea that, uh, and I, don't, I mean, I don't like it, like it, but I mean, it's an interesting idea that, like, when they tell Jarrell, like, you know, like basically they shut him up and he's not even allowed to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like that's an interesting idea that there's sort of no free speech on Krypton once the elders have decided that's it. And of course, Jarrell being. Uh, I think this is like a nice bit of uh, foreshadowing, of course, because we know it's coming. But where Jarrell says, "I nor my wife will leave Krypton." He's got that little asterisk there because yes. it's like, well, I nor my wife. I didn't say anything about my son. You know, you're like, oh, OK. And we know, you know, that that's what he means. But I mean, to the to the people of Krypton, they're like, oh, OK, fine. He's he's on board. They're like, well, he's not totally on board. So I like that. Just that little bit of like he's going to trick the Krypton elders like, OK, fine. You're you're committing my wife and I to a fiery death. But my family will live on, you bunch of knuckleheads. Well, it kind of makes me wonder why he threw Lara in there too. It's like he, he should have just said, you know, it's like I will not leave Krypton, but you know, but maybe he thought that was pushing it. You know, yeah. they might have said, well, what about your wife? You know, but it makes you wonder what what is uh, how is interstellar travel on Krypton? You know, do they 
do they is it a common thing? I mean, because later we find out that Jorel sure knows a lot about the known thirty six galaxies or whatever it is he says. Yep. Um so it's it's interesting to think, well, did they did they not have spacecraft do that or do they and i mean we don't we don't see anybody else trying to leave when we get to certain parts later that we all know is coming but uh it, it does it does you know bring up some questions i mean it's not anything that it's not a like a plot hole type question but it just it just makes you wonder mm-hmm. you know and you know i think it's it's interesting how you know literally the council all like moves together on one side of the room. Yeah, they literally stand on the other side of the room against them. Yeah, against them. I mean, it's you know, it's it's a it's 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 so so obvious. You know that I mean, maybe that's just the way things work on Krypton. You know, it, it seems to be. You know, and and it it seems like uh, Trevor Howard is the leader of the council. So it kind of makes you wonder why he wasn't the one that was playing the executioner or the prosecutor or or whatever. But uh, you know, a lot of a lot of questions, but again, it's just fun stuff to think about. It's not anything that it's like, well, now wait a minute. There's, you know, it, it's 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 just fun to think about if you've seen it 150 times like we have. So yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say not to read too much into it, but of course, that's the whole point of the show is to reading too much into this movie. Uh, I always got the sense that the crypt, like the Krypton Society, is a self-satisfied one. Like they, mm-hmm. in their mind, and this is me just doing total deep dive into what I think I'm seeing, not from anything the movie's necessarily telling me, but just the way that Maria Schell has that line reading where she's just so condescending to Jor-El that I get the sense that the Krypton is like, we are the cocks of the walk. You know what I mean? Like we've figured everything out. We're perfect. We don't have a death penalty. We're, we're totally good. And it's almost like we don't need to push the limits of our knowledge anymore because we figured everything out. And Jorel is the one who's like, we are not as sharp as we think we are. And so that's why he's doing all. And so I could see that in this version of Krypton, Richard Donner's version of Krypton or Tom Mankiewicz's version of Krypton, that they don't do a lot of interstellar travel because it's like, what what, what do we, what's out there? We're, everything's great here. We've got mm-hmm. all our all our buildings look like Bespin. Everything looks fantastic. <laughs> we don't we don't need anything. We don't again. We have very little crime, and when we do have crime, we send them off to the Phantom Zone, and that's it. So it's like that's kind of the read I got from it is that Jorel is in in another society. He would be you know like a, the president or the, the the world leader because he's a forward thinker, right? Uh, and he sees reality, but they're all kind of just smug and that. So that's kind of the read I got on it, and that's why. Maybe the idea of we only have a rocket ship enough for Kal-El is that's enough. And it could just be a, a more of a practical matter of, you know, Richard Donner has said many times that he looked at the Superman story as American myth and you can't mess with American myth. Right. And having Laura escape Earth, escape Krypton, is messing with it way too much. As J.J. Abrams learned in that 2000-whatever screenplay that he wrote, that got leaked on the internet and caused a nerd rage when it was in his version, Laura comes to earth and gives birth to Kal-El on, on planet earth. And people were like, what? You know? So, you well, that make... was a, that was a burn idea that they nixed. Wasn't it? Wasn't that his notion yeah, at first? I wanted to do that too. Yeah. That's yeah. Too much, too yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, too you, much. Yeah. You need the image of Jor-El and Laura watching the baby take off. That's just, sure. It's just too, too, too much. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, it's interesting because most Superman origin stories begin right here with him arguing yeah. with the Kryptonian Council. So, yeah. uh, so, so we're right in here. And then, of course, 
we go to the L home or jor lab or whatever it is where the we actually meet Lara and baby Kal-El. Yep, I and, love that he's in the colors. I love yes. that. So that's a great detail. Yep, they're in the first splash of color on Krypton. Yep. Is uh, Kal-El's blankets, which uh, any comic nerd knows what those blankets will be used for later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's uh, I really love the the you know the use of the uh, the 3M reflective material on the costumes. <laughs> it really does work. I mean it's, it's beautiful. Every everybody it is beautiful. Everybody's just glowing, and it's neat to see the behind the scenes shots of them standing there in these gray outfits and then they light it and it's just like boom you know uh it's just like they start to glow and i mean you know nowadays they just do it with some kind of you know computer photo filter or something but uh you know and Susanna york i i'm not really overly familiar with her outside of the superman movies i've uh i'm every christmas i remind myself oh yeah she's uh uh, Mrs. Cratchit in the uh, George C. Scott version of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> I don't even think I don't even think I knew that, but yeah, I mean, she had a very long career. I mean, it's, this was something again. I feel like this was Richard Donner's kind of idea, and I don't want to give him credit for every single great idea that's in this movie because you know he had a great team of people working with. But just for the the sake of you know sort of skipping right to the the heart of it, I mean, you know, he that was sort of his notion was you know making this movie, making this story seem all the more real by giving it real heavy hitters, even for tiny parts. And, you know, yeah. said, Susanna, Susanna York was in Tom Jones, which was with Albert Finney, which was the Best Picture Oscar winner. She was in They Shoot Horses, Don't They? I mean, she had a you know, very established career before coming to Superman. And so it just gives it that much more, you know, feeling of import that, wow, they're getting these heavy hitters just to do, I mean, of course, Brando, the ultimate heavy hitter, literally and figuratively, but I mean, it's like, just everybody on Krypton is somebody important, is somebody of some note one way or the other, and that just gives it, you know, you're like, wow, this is a real thing, this is not some cheap jack version of the story, this is this is big. Right, I mean, it's, you know, that was kind of, and that was kind of the, you know, the prevailing notion back then is that you... You know, like even with the big, like the big miniseries that were on TV back then, like Roots or something. I mean, they had mm-hmm. literally the all-star cast when it actually meant really all-star cast. I mean, you're just like, I can't believe they got them to do a TV, you know, miniseries. Brando was in that too. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, and it, it, it's it's got that feel of, you know, like we put, uh, uh, you know, we're we're populating, like you said, I mean, even the Kryptonian Council getting these, Literally, these esteemed British actors. I made a joke about that, but I mean, they—they're essentially bit parts. But just them, them uh, being those roles being occupied by those actors give that a gravitas that it wouldn't have if it just had Joe Schmo from mm-hmm. Central Casting. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It said it's, it's. Donner had a real vision for that, and this is something that you know, it's like the idea of being a movie director. It's it's it seems like such a complicated job. I mean, just the just the bare basics of it of like knowing how to compose your shots and knowing how to like, you know, pull the drama out of any given scene. But you really do have to have, and I hate using the word visionary because that's just thrown around now left and right. But you have to have an idea of what this story is that you're about to tell. And Donner clearly had, you know, and I mean, we are, look, if you're, if you're listening to the show, we're only three episodes in. We're going to be waxing Richard Donner's car <laughs> big to, to, to a fine sheen here. But I mean, I, I just, I just knowing how, easily this could have gone off track 
and, yeah. and seeing how how perfectly it didn't is just like you just I'm just constantly amazed. And no matter how many times I watch this movie, I I'm always amazed of just you know this thing could have gone so wrong, and the fact that it didn't. And right at the end of this this section of the fifteen of you know basically the last ten seconds of fourteen fifty to fourteen fifty nine, the speech that Brando has about where they talk about what life is going to be like for Cal on Earth. And, of course, Lara is like, he'll be different, he'll be an outcast. And I love that Jorel has that line about, like, you know, they talk about, well, he'll, he'll be invulnerable, he'll be fast. And he's like, he will need that advantage. Because mm-hmm. it's like, Jorel knows that as an alien, he is going to be considered a freak on this planet. And the only way he'll survive is being, of course, physically superior. I love yeah. that little detail, that he knows that if he was physically as like we are he wouldn't last but because he's going to be invulnerable he'll be able to survive the literal and metaphorical brickbats that earth is going to throw at so i love all that too it's it's such a it's a great i mean laura is it's 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 interesting to see what like what argument is laura making here is she saying well we really shouldn't have him go well no because then he's going to die here with us but it's just interesting that she is the one throwing up the kind of like well he's really Gonna have a rough life, you know. Like maybe it would be better because, of course, we don't know what Kryptonian mysticism is about. You know, do yeah. they believe in an afterlife? In the second movie, we certainly get a sense that these characters do live beyond their physical bodies. But you know, again, it's like Joel's like, I'm not willing to let my son die in a giant ball of flame when when we can get rid of him. Yeah, not right. get rid of him, but get him out of here. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I really do love their. I mean, she's basically just trying to throw up the final uh, final arguments that, you know, even though I think she knows it's the thing to do, she's still got to be the other, because he's 100%, you know, uh, behind it's the thing to do. And, and, and uh, you know, so she's just kind of point-counterpoint with him, you know. It's, <laughs> it, 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 you know, but it's it's obvious that, you know, they, they both know that that's really their only option. And uh, maybe she thinks there might be another planet, but I think you're right. I think Jorel's scoped it out, and he's pretty sure that, you know, he's already he knows about the. Uh, we'll get into that in the next bit. But you know the, what the what the environment will do and everything. But you know it's, uh, you know he says he will look like one of them, and she says he won't be one of them. You know, so so yeah, it's it it's uh, you know it, that's what the the economy of of storytelling in this movie. I mean because. We only really get a few minutes with these characters, but we we learn everything we need to know about them for this story and and really for the legend of Superman. I mean, we really do. I mean, and it's it's uh, you know, we don't have to spend an hour on Krypton. We don't have to you know, we don't need a, a sci fi TV series to fill in the blanks <laughs> or anything or, you know, which that's fine. If it, it might be fine. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying we don't need it. it, it you know, if we had it. OK, that's fine. But we don't we don't need it. All we need to know is right on the screen because they did because the Tom Mankiewicz and Donner and the actors all put it out there for us. Yep. Yeah. That's just that's it. That, that is a good phrase for the economy of the storytelling. I mean, part of it is just you know um, financially determined because they only had Brando for like one week. <laughs> So I mean, we gotta, we gotta, we really gotta get as much story out of Brando as we can because once he leaves, he ain't coming back. That's the end of that. So yeah, yeah, and then the salt guys made sure he wasn't coming back after they ticked him off. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> always a good idea to piss off Marlon Brando. Yes, definitely. Uh, yeah, so uh, I think that pretty much brings us to the uh, the end of this section. You got anything else to to add about it? 
Uh, no, I think, yeah, I think that's pretty much going to cover it. I mean, the, the next conversation they're going to have is very interesting. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's this this does incorporate a lot of the Krypton sto- uh, Superman story in just four minutes and 59 seconds, basically. And we see the – I mean, we get our first shot, of course, of the, the rocket. Uh, you know that. You know, let me ask you about that before we close out. Like, did, okay. I guess it didn't bother you at all that the rocket looks nothing like the rocket that we're from. We're, we're, we're the rocket that we're all we all grew up on looks like a rocket, a Flash Gordon rocket. Now, of course, that wouldn't fit in this version of Krypton, but this this little bubble they put him in, this little uh, like a Christmas ornament, is <laughs> yes. a really different design. Did that ever, as a kid, did that bother you, or were you just totally wrapped up in the movie and it was fine? I think I think that was probably one of the just because the the iconography of the the rocket you know launching from Krypton was kind of you know in everybody's brain you know the I always think of the way Kurt Swan drew it the blue rocket with yep. the red fins and the red yep. little nose yep. and uh, you know it looks like his colors and uh, so I mean it didn't really bother me but it, it even even I think when I saw this I was like well that doesn't look like Superman's rocket even more so than the rest of Krypton. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, I think it, it perfectly fits with everything here. And I mean, how, how much Christ symbolism is in the fact that he comes in a star. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they pack the the Jesus parallel in the star of Bethlehem. Okay. You know, it's like he comes complete in the star, you know? So, uh, you know, he comes in it. Now you don't have to follow it to him. He comes in it. Uh, so I think that's neat. And, uh, and yes, there, every year I see at least one Christmas tree topper that I'm like, Hmm, that would really look cool in my Superman display. (laughs) (laughs) The only, the only argument I would make that, uh, that you needed to add something to this crystal is it needs little metal fists on the side that can reach out and grab things. The only Right. <laughs> That's right. The Supermobile. Yes. Deep and, cut. And, <laughs> yes. Deep cut. And, and, uh, you know, I, I will say I, as, as a parent myself, when you have little kids, you try to, you know, all the corners in your house, you put little rubber things around them. <laughs> that thing's nothing but points and corners, <laughs> not child safe. Okay. <laughs> the most kid unsafe yeah, we rate this a minus seven for how unsafe this is for little children. You could literally poke your eye out at every turn of this thing. Consumer reports would say no. <laughs> no, Jorel, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Okay, well, so I guess that'll wrap it up for uh, this episode of Superman Movie Minute. That takes us to minute 15. Am I correct? You are correct, sir. Okay. So now we have met our hero, albeit in baby form, but we're, we've seen Superman on screen. So there we go. Uh, so be sure to check out the other shows on our network, including all 15 of Rob's shows <laughs> and the paltry few I'm involved in, but, you know, check, check, and all our buddy shows on the network. And while you're on the network, please join a discussion on Superman the Movie over at FireAndWaterPodcast.com. You can leave us a review on iTunes, too, if you are so inclined, and we'd love to hear that. Uh, So join us here next week on Superman Movie Minute. It will be swell. Swell? (laughs) This country is safe again, Superman. Thanks to you. No, sir. Don't thank me, Warden. We're all part of the same team. Night.